Thank you. The choir is beautiful this morning. We appreciate that. And having some guests, singers and all that. It's great. I enjoy the music so much. So th- this morning, um, we're, we're going to be talking about Peter and John as they were, um, we all got into some trouble, as it were, for doing something. In chapter 3, if you read chapter 3, we're in Acts, by the way, we're in Acts chapter 4. But in chapter 3, Peter had just healed a crippled man, one that was begging at the gate. He'd been sitting there, and, and he just frankly just approached Peter and John and said, can you help me? Give me some money. Begging. And they looked at him, well, we don't have any money, but we'll give you something even better. And in the name of Jesus, had him stand and walk and healed him. So needless to say, that kind of uh, got the community talking. You know, if something crazy like that had happened or something exciting like that or however you want to look at it happened in, in your community, in your church, in your body of believers, no matter, it would cause a stir. So we're, that's what brings us to chapter 4. So if you would um, join with me, chapter 4, we're going to read, I, I know it says 1 to 35, it'll probably only be about 1 to 22 because I figured you want to stop standing. But we're going to stand as we read God's word. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple, and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you, healed. He is the stones the builders rejected, which has become the capstone, or cornerstone, some versions will say. Salvation is found in no one else, but there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note of that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows they have done an outstanding miracle, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. In, his, in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourself whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God, for we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed 
was over 40 years old. May God bless the reading of his word and be seated. We as a church should never worry about what people are saying about the church. We should really start worrying when people stop saying anything about the church. So many times we get caught up with, well, is this right? Are we wording this just right? Or how, who's going to be offended? And, what's, and it's so easy for us to get caught up in those kind of things and forget that we need to be about spreading God's word, spreading the word of what Jesus has done. We need to make sure that these things happen. I mentioned Wednesday night, we should never be surprised when non-Christians act like non-Christians. Yet we are. What we should be worried about, the problem comes when the Christian world acts like the non-Christian world. We've got to be very careful because it's easy for us to just kind of want to go along with the flow and not make any waves and not let things happen. Folks, if somebody doesn't make some waves soon, we're all in trouble. It's time we stood up. The disciples in Acts 4 were preaching about Jesus and they're thrown in jail. Back in the early days of our country and um, in Virginia, two Baptist preachers were preaching and were arrested because they did not have an Episcopal license. Patrick Henry came to their defense and he said to them and, and told them, it must be a real lack of criminals if we're here arresting people for preaching the gospel of Christ. Think about that. They were released. Patrick Henry knew exactly what he was talking about. And we've got to be careful. We, there are so many people out there being arrested for doing what God's telling them to do. Like you said, like he said, there's got to be a real lack of criminals if that's what we're arresting people for. To me, there's a lot of other things. Christians should, be able to be, um, should not be able to be silent about what Christ has done for them. H.G. Wells once said that the voice of the neighbors sounds louder in our ears than the voice of God. Think about that one for a minute. When your neighbor's voices are louder in your ears than what God's telling you, what's wrong? We're caught. We should not let, man, let man's voice ring louder than what God's trying to tell us. We can get caught up in all kinds of things. They look at Peter, they just put him in jail, and when he asked about what power he did it, this terrible thing of healing a cripple, he had to tell them. I thought it was interesting that when they asked him that question, the next line is, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit got hold of him, and here he goes. Now you remember, they even mentioned it. Peter was not a theologically trained individual. He did not go to seminary. He didn't go to rabbi school. He didn't go to any of those things. He was a follower of Christ. He had three years on the job training with Jesus. I'd take that any day. And with that, the Spirit took hold of him. We should never underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit. 
We take it for granted so much. As Christians, the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and we accept Christ. He is part of us. It is God with us and in us. What we do with it then is the next step, isn't it? Do we allow him to work through us? Do we allow him to speak to us? Do we allow him to speak through us? Or what? Just go on about our merry way. Peter let the Spirit take hold of him. He was not doing it in his own power. Folks, <laughs> we can do a lot of things in our own power. We really can, and we try. Believe me, we try. But it's never as powerful as when we let the Holy Spirit work through us. I would like to think that the Holy Spirit takes hold of me every time I preach. I'm not sure it does. But I do know when he does, I end up saying things that are not on my pieces of paper. And I start saying things that I went, I hadn't studied for that. I didn't prepare for that. I didn't read that. But sometimes God wants me to say something else. And if I'm tuned to him and listening to him, he will say it, whether I prepared to say it or not. I don't think Peter knew exactly what he would say to these learned people. Remember, he's talking to the, all the big guys, the chief priests, all the head, the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. I mean, he was everybody's, you know. I'll we'll catch on to that in a minute. He, he's preaching to the big guys. Speaking in front of all the best. These are the most learned people. These people had years and years and years of training. And they're asking little old Peter, the fisherman, to say what, how he got that power. You know, see, we have to realize that we have only one Lord. He said, it's only one name under which the name of Jesus. That's the only way we can be saved. It is written right there. We've got to realize that that's the only Lord we have. Yet too many times we let other lords take over on us. You know, the lords of money. Or the lack of it. The lords of attention. Or the lack of it. You ever watch kids that want to try to get your attention? My guess is anybody who's been around children, anytime you'll find out that they want to get your attention at some point. And sometimes they'll do it by being really good and really talk to you about oh, how wonderful and how beautiful you are and how awesome you are. They'll talk that way. If that doesn't get their attention like they want, then what do they do? They go to the other side. They go to the dark side. They, uh, they go to the bad side. They show out until they get your attention. They're going to get your attention one way or the other. I think sometimes we forget that. And we sometimes start looking for attention. We as adults do the same thing. We're just a little more subtle about it. Sometimes. Do we fit in or do we not fit in? Do we want our own way? We can do it any way you want as long as you do it my way. I help my wife clean the house sometimes. Mostly I do the vacuuming because she don't like to push the vacuum. So I do the vacuuming. She can make me madder than anything when she starts telling me how to do the vacuuming. <laughs> See, I do not mind 
doing the, something or doing a chore, but I don't want to then be told how to do the chore. If it gets done to me, it gets done. She has her way. That's fine. If she wants to do it her way, have a nice time because I hate cleaning the house. All right. Most women do too, right? But does anybody really like cleaning house? Somebody does? All right. Have we got a job for you? <laughs> but you see, we all, you understand what I'm saying. I want to do it my way. Guess what? We sometimes do that in church. Well, I want to see us do this, but we want to do it this way. What is it, the seven last words of the church? We've never done it that way before. They, they say that's the seven last words of the church. Because what? We, we try to change it. But don't, no, wait a minute. My grandmama did it. My great-grandmama did it. My granddad did it. It was always done this way, so it's got to be done that way. Well, guess what? If you've looked around, church has changed. The gospel has not. The words have not. God's word is still the same. But sometimes we have to change the thing. Let's face it, when I was in high school, I never heard of a Facebook. <laughs> I didn't hear of a Facebook. Could we hardly, we could rarely do church without Facebook now, couldn't we? Think about that. Times have changed. I don't necessarily like it. But guess what? Sometimes they do. There was a, there was a story about, make sure I'm on my time frame. There, there's a story about a lady that, that when she was, she was doing her roast in her pan, and, and she cut off the end of the roast and put it in the pan and, and, and put it in the oven. And, and her daughter was watching her and goes, why do you do that? Do what? Why do you cut the end of your roast off? I don't know, because my mom did. So she calls her mom. Mom, I, I cut off the end of the roast. Why do we cut off the end of the roast? She goes, hmm. Oh, my mom did it that way, but she had this little pan and it would never fit, so she would cut it off and put it in the pan. But they kept passing that down generation to generation because somebody else's pan was too little. Their pan was fine. We do that at church. Because our great-grandfathers did this, we think that we've got to do it too. We want our own way. We serve one Lord, Jesus Christ. That's who we serve. He is our power, and he, is, and he has the power to do what is needed and have it happen. It, we need strength to get us through any situation, and he provides that strength. We need the power over temptation of sin, we, and he will provide it. Our problem is we don't always trust him to do that. We have to trust him to take care of things. It's very easy for us to forget that he is there with us, even though we don't always understand it and don't always see it that way. We've got to let him be the foundation of our faith. He talks about the chief cornerstone. If you've ever been to a house that didn't have the right cornerstone on it, it wasn't built right, that corner starts dropping, what happens to the rest of the house? Starts going. And eventually, what's going to happen? It's going to collapse. If our faith is not built on Jesus Christ, it is going to collapse. If our church is not built on Jesus Christ, it is going to collapse. 
That has got to be central. When Peter said, when, when Jesus asked Peter, who do you say I am? You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And what he says, you were right, Peter. Upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. What rock is he talking about? He's talking about the, the thought that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. That's the stone, the cornerstone that they built the church. That's the foundation. Peter, when Peter said that, he built the church. And you see, the church must be built on Christ, not programs or individuals or personalities or anything else. We can get so caught up in our programs and our, ourselves and our people and personalities that we forget that this, that has nothing to do with it. I can be the best preacher in the world. If you're building it on me, it ain't going to happen. Y'all realize that? If it's not built on Jesus Christ, it's not going to happen. This church can never grow, can never um, impact its community, can never do anything if we are not focused totally on Jesus Christ. That is why we are here. The only way people can be saved is through Jesus Christ. There's no other way. You can't be good enough. You can't do enough. You can't work enough. You can't fill enough positions. You can't have enough programs. I don't care what you do in the church. They can't be enough if we are not focused on Jesus Christ. We can choose to believe that statement or we can choose not to. But it's the only way and it's the truth. There's the law of gravity. We know what that law is, right? Whatever goes up must come down, you could say. If I jumped off this roof, I am going to fall to the ground. I may believe I can float, but I can't. The law of gravity is real, whether you believe it or not. If, if I jump off of this, I'm going to hit the ground down here. Now, I may land properly, or I may not. But I'm still going to go down. I'm not going to go walking straight out and, over, and hover over you. It's not going to happen. Why is that? Because that is how it works. That's how the law works. Well, guess what? The law that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, He is the only way to Christ, He is the only way to salvation, He's the only way to God, is the, only, is the law of truth. We can believe anything else we want, that isn't going to help us. It's still the truth. Christ is our only salvation. I choose to believe that, whether you do or not. We have to lift up the name of Jesus in everything we do. Where the church speaks up, the un ungodly have a hard time. Those Sadducees and Pharisees and all those chief priests were having a hard time with Peter, weren't they? He was speaking up for Jesus. They didn't like that. They knew that. And he, matter of fact, he even kind of put it in their faces. The guy you crucified, he, he didn't bend any words. He didn't mince any words. They didn't like it. You see, the world gets afraid when we start speaking about Christ. Have you noticed that? Why? How does it hurt them? They're afraid. They're afraid of what the power of Jesus Christ can do. We've got to understand what the power of Jesus Christ can do. We've, they are amazed sometimes when we speak up, but they're not sure what to do with that information. They saw what, what Peter was able to do for a cripple. He healed him in the name of Jesus. 
They got the information. They knew they couldn't deny it. They saw it. They knew this guy. He's 40 years old. Plus, they'd seen him around. It wasn't the first time they'd seen him was that day. And all of a sudden, he's up walking around. And they're afraid. Because Peter showed more power than they had. Governments get afraid. People that are non-Christians get afraid. The atheists have pushed us around and done all those kind of things over and over and over again. They had us prayer knocked out of schools. They've done all the things. You can jump politically one way or the other. I don't care. What I'm saying is we have let them try to run the agenda way too much. It's time we as Christians speak up and say, guess what? This is Jesus' only way you can be saved. We want to tell you about him. We do not have to be militant. We don't have to be nasty. We should be loving, but we should let them know that there is only way to be saved, one way, and that's through Jesus Christ. We've got to realize that what we believe in the kingdom work is far greater than anything else we have or can possess or own or anything. Later in the chapter, it talks about where they shared their possessions. I was going to read all through all that. But where the, all the, the church shared everything. Remember, they, brought, they pooled all their stuff. What that meant was that way no one would go without. Everyone in their group was taken care of. Now, I've... I am new to this church, but from what I have met, the people I have met, and from what I can see of this church, if they had any idea someone in this church had a need and was going without something, my guess is they'd find the way to help them and put it together. I sense that already. That's what the church is. We look out. We're trying to make sure people are saved, are taken care of. They were all on the same page Folks, we have to be on the same page. You work together. That's what the church is about. If somebody has a need, we take care of it. it um, Theodore Roosevelt said in the pioneer days um, out in the West, when they built a town together, in just a short time, the church was the next thing to go up. If the church did not happen, then the community went downhill. I remember the good old days when the church was kind of the center of the community. That was where your social activities happened, where everything happened, was the church. That was the center. Well, we're not there anymore. It's not that way. So how do we become relevant again? Because we need to be. The people need to see that we have an answer for them. We've got to speak out to what we've seen and heard. We've got to speak out about what God is doing in our lives. Folks, they can argue anything they want, but they cannot argue with what God has done for you. That your testimony is the most powerful thing you have. It is the way that you have shown that God has worked in my life, and this is what's happening. Our problem is we're afraid. We're afraid of a lot of things. I talked about fear last week. We, we are afraid of so many things. We're afraid to speak out. What will they think of us? They'll call us, we're radicals, or we're some kind of, you know, cult or something. You know, they'll call us all kinds of things. Like I said at the beginning, and if they're talking about the church, at least they're talking about the church, when they quit talking about the church, that's when we're really in trouble. We've got to be relevant. We've got to speak out. Our world is dying and going to hell. And if we as Christians don't care, who is going to? We as Christians have got to step up and stand up for what we know is right. 
We've got to stand up that we know that Jesus is the Son of the living God, and He is their only way that they're going to be saved. He has done so much for us. I know what He's done in my life. My guess is all of you have the same kind of testimony. God has taken taken me through this. He has helped me through that. He has given me a power that I didn't know I had. That's the God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. Majesty. A mighty fortress is our God. All those we've just sung tell us about the God we serve. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now thanking you that you are a mighty and powerful God. Fill our lives and our hearts and our minds with your presence. And help us, Lord, to speak out for you. Help us to reach this lost world that we're in. Give us courage. Give us strength. Speak through us. And we'll give you the honor and glory because you are worthy of our praise and our worship. In Jesus' name, amen. This is a time of invitation. We invite you to come if you would like to receive Christ. If you've not made Jesus your Savior, we invite you to come. You may have, uh, would like to unite with this church. Forest Heights would love to have you. We invite you to come for that. If you have any other decisions, this is your time. The altars are open for prayer. We ask you to come during this time.